and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. It has been a while since we have done this. I I was going to say I apologize, but you know, whatever. Um, no, so I feel like the last time we did this, was it after the first episode or right before the first episode of Game Theory? Um, I can't remember which one it was, but it was somewhere around then. And it was just kind of important for me to share with y'all you know what i mean like i feel like the people who listen to this are a much more particular subset of the people who generally consume the stuff that i do and it's it's important for me to keep this and to kind of keep it going and still do it from time to time um i absolutely had no time whatsoever during the run of the show i guess i got more time to do this now so i might get back around to the habit um of doing the show but like i realized man um basically from thanksgiving until now i think the only day we took off was christmas like where i could just definitively say nah i didn't really do anything no otherwise we had just been on it like it was a really uh consuming sort of thing to do a show like this i didn't i didn't have a great handle on just how consuming it would be and people would tell me about folks and now how hard they worked and i was like so what exactly is there that's going to require all this hard work and it's like oh everything got it sorry folks i kind of misunderstood yeah nah man it's a grind but it was a satisfying grind like there's something to be said for doing something new and i've never uh, like i did highly questionable for four years that's the only thing that i ever did for more than two although i guess the right time counts and of course the even the jones i've been doing this for a decade but you know what I mean? Like I've normally like whatever the main gig was, I've normally bounced to do something else um, within a relatively short period of time. I'm not used to being like full on invested in something. But at well, actually, I'm used to being invested in it. That's a poor statement because I was invested in all those things while I did them. But the point I was trying to make was that even though I was doing like a different show, you could kind of make the argument that I was doing the same thing. This was a completely different thing. You know, just as a concept, everything else. It was as much, it was learning and applying with a shorter turnaround time than I've ever had before because I've never had so much to learn and the stakes are probably never higher on the execution of what it was um, that came around. And so anyway, now we are doing this. This is the evening of May the 3rd and this is May, yep, that's the 3rd. Um, and this is the day that we announced to the world that there will be a season two of Game Theory. And I think that's pretty cool. I do. I sincerely do. I've known it for a little bit. So like it's a little tricky when you've known it and then, you know, you tell everybody you it's hard to it's hard to go back in that moment of that. And it's also kind of hard because. Like for me. I meant what I said early. Like when I said that I was good with six episodes, I meant that. And nothing in my feelings since then, and even in like the feeling that I had about getting picked up, has made me think that I didn't mean that when I said it. I was happy getting six episodes. And I really, really enjoyed doing those six episodes. Like it was a great time. And if we did not get a seven, I really wasn't going to be tripping about the fact that we weren't going to get a seven. Like it was a really great opportunity. And I really think that 
I think it's a really good product. Like, I think the show is actually like legitimately good. Um, and I think that we did a good show in a format and with a focus when you put those two things together that few people that I'm aware of have figured out how to make the good show. And I think we got a good show and we get a chance to make more good shows. And the reason that we get a chance to make more good shows is because we made a good show. Like that's really what it comes down to. And when I say we, that's not me being polite. Like there's a lot of people do a lot of stuff. Like I stop and think about it on this show. You can make an argument that on something like this, that I may have put in the least man hours or the fewest man hours out of everybody else. You know, there's like a real heavy grind with a whole lot of people whose names that you'll never know because it just doesn't come up in that way. But like, I, like when I say we, I really mean we. Like, there's no way in the world that I could imagine somebody could do a show like this and ever have the nerve and audacity to look around and think that that shit's all about them because it's just too many dope people to make this go. Like, I was talking to a homie who works in music and he was telling me something that he picked up along the way. And he was like, if you're going to make a classic album, you need at least three people absolutely in their bag. Like the rapper's got to be in his bag. Whoever's on beats got to be in their bag. Somebody else that's associated with it. Maybe it's the engineer. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's the executive producer, whatever. But you need three people to be in their bag. And to do a show like this and make it good, you need a bunch of people in their bag. And we had a bunch of people that I firmly believe were in their bag. You know? And so we get the news that we're going to do more. And like... I don't know how this will be for me if we were to do this for years, right? But one thing about doing daily television is you watch what you did the day before, but you just don't really have a whole lot of time to think about it, you know, because there's another show that's coming the next day. And if yesterday was bad, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's like a problem. You just do this all the time. Like that's not, a, you know, that's, that's a tricky, that's a tricky thing. And something like this, for me, it was interesting because you do it and it's so exciting, the mere fact that you've done it, that it becomes almost difficult to evaluate yourself because the magnitude of what you've done, just the idea, the notion of it gets to be so big that you really need a few steps away from it. Like we did a pilot in the summer of 2021 that I absolutely loved and I probably couldn't bear to watch now. But I think the magnitude of what it was, it was just such a cool idea to me. Like, yo, this is like a TV show when it's me, you know? But then you go back and you watch and you're like, okay, there's all these things we can do better. I can go back and watch these shows we did in the first se season of Game Theory. And I loved them all when they ran, but I probably had a better eye at that point to like, okay, maybe there's some things we can work on. You know, maybe this one wasn't as good as the other one. Like I wasn't just necessarily gassed on the idea that I had done it at all, which can make evaluating things hard. But then you get done with it. And you realize that it's time to do, you know, you got a chance to do more. And you realize how much game you pick up along the way. Because, like, before you do a TV show, the TV show doesn't exist. Like, I think that before I started working in TV, I'd watch a show. And you notice something, maybe if you watch every time, that you can see all the little changes that happen along the way. But, like, you almost think in your mind as somebody walked in, it's like, boom, here's what the TV show is going to be. And then that's what the TV show is. And it works optimally. Nah, man, you get in there and we're like, hey, so what's the TV show going to be, huh? Anybody know? Anybody know? And then you start like putting stuff in places and switching it around and stuff. But then you know what the TV show is. So if we go into season one, we don't know what the TV show is. Like we got a couple things we need to get a look at, see if they'll work, you know, but we don't know what the TV show is. But see, now we know what the TV show is. 
we know what it is and we know what it can be and what could be better in looking back and things that we could turn up and things that we can tweak and just things that you can improve and so you look back at it or at least i'm at a point now where i look back at it and like all the pride and all of that is still there but it's like i still know what we can do right i still know a couple things that we could work on and what's tricky about it for me right and i just want to you know indicate to you that i have heard some of your feedback and i appreciate your feedback right because here's my thing about whatever somebody got to say about this show that we did okay i'll listen to whatever you got to say if you watched it like if you're talking about the actual content I will listen to whatever you say. You say you did not like the show, I will listen to it. You somebody whose opinion I respect, I will ask you why. Because you don't have to like it. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's not offensive to me that you don't like the show. If you don't think the show is good, I would disagree with you. But if you operate sincerely, then I'm not offended by that, right? So like feedback, critique, I'm here for, and I would even go so far as to say I invite. Like if there was a disappointing thing to me in terms of the way that uh, this year's show was received, people didn't review it. And I'm not blaming anybody for that. Like I'm not saying anybody did anything wrong. This isn't episodic television in the sense that, so like what you may not realize is, so when it's time for the new season of whatever show to come out and for people to write reviews of it, the studio is pressing up a screener and like sending you a copy or giving you a link to watch some handful of episodes of the show. You can't do that with this show. This show is made the day that it airs. You see what I mean? So you can't like get it in the hands of people for them necessarily to review it in a way that I think one would say is fair, right? Like it, it's a, it's a mechanical issue. It's not an issue of anybody overlooking us or anything. It's just that this isn't the, the format of what we're doing is not necessarily conducive for review. But what that then means is the people who talk about your stuff the most are the people who actually don't watch it. And that like nothing you say matters if you don't watch it. But if you have and you got things that you don't like, I can hear that. And I think one thing that I heard from a lot of people um, was just general like how comfortable you did or did not think I was at various points. I think I was more comfortable out there than most people would probably realize. But see, I got something different going on television and doing a show like that that's a little trickier than it is, I think, for a lot of people. And part of why that's tricky is because of stuff like this here podcast that you're watching or listening to. And that is Y'all have listened to me for over a decade, not only spit my own bars, but spit my own bars off the top of my head. And part of the appeal of what I've done for a lot of you is the fact that I am spitting my own bars off the top of my head, right? This is how you see me. Not that that's a bad thing, just to be clear. But when you think of like hearing me, you think of hearing me like this. You can't do that on this form of television. Like we got to run too many things by too many lawyers. There's too many moving parts. Too many people need to know what's coming so they can put something off the screen, on the screen, all of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like that's not an option. 
for a show like this. And so it's a really difficult thing for me to try to figure out like how to get as close to this within the structural limitations of the framework of the kind of television that we're doing. Right. So it's almost like I'm asking a writing staff and myself and everybody else to make it like this. And I don't know how to make it like this. It just kind of happens that way. Like I don't come into it with a strategy about that. Right. I don't know how to do that. But I would also contend that that is a greater concern for the people who know my work the best than it is for those who are less familiar. Because if you know me the best, then you know it in a different way. You know, if you know me a little less, then you think about it less. If you didn't know me before, I don't think you look at some of those things in that way. And that's not a judgment of you or even a defense of myself. I'm just telling you that it's a different process in doing something like this. And what I want to try to figure out and what I want to get right about it is how to get it as close to this as possible. But the reason I want it to be as close to this as possible is the intimacy of it. Like I'm seeing somebody in the room that's saying John Oliver is a comedian and probably has decades of TV slash stand-up experience. Not fair to compare the shows. Yeah, but see, this is what I'm saying, though. Even if I had a zillion years of experience doing stand-up, I don't want to go out there and do stand-up. Like working with the audience, the audience actually made things a whole lot easier than not having people there. Because not having people there, you got nothing to work off of. Like I can do that with a podcast, but with a television show, you kind of need to have some idea what's landing, what's not, and everything else. You know, like you kind of need that. So for me, I think working off the audience, I was doing okay. Like that's not, like that part, isn't really it what it is is figuring out like what exactly the tone is that you want to have for your show and how to make that tone feel as exciting and spontaneous as possible right so this is what the difference is you watch john oliver you're not tripping on the fact that somebody else is writing john oliver's bars or that he's got people helping him write his bars i don't know the exact process because you've always seen John Oliver spitting bars in that kind of format. You see what I mean? Like, I bet you there's somebody who knows John Oliver very well. And John Oliver, from my experience, is remarkably similar to televised John Oliver, just to be clear. But I bet you there was somebody like early on that that was like, yeah, I don't know. They just don't seem like you, though. But only because they know him more intimately. And a lot of you guys know me really intimately. But what I want to be able to do, rather than like say to you, you tripping what you want is impossible i want to try to figure out how to make what you saying as possible as i possibly can make it and like to me that's the place where the whole thing takes off is when you're able to do that right that's what i want to figure out in terms of like how to make a tv show like this that's that's the part that I want to get. Like, I already got like a list of topics and stuff for next season and all this. I don't even know how many episodes. I don't know when the shit going to start. I don't know nothing. But I got like a list of ideas and things I want to get right, things I want to bring in and everything else, right? Like, I'm like my mind already goes, is, is already going to that place and it's been at that place um, for quite a while. But this is just for me, like a real cool day. You know what I mean?
And there's something cool to be able to, I think it's cool to be able to look at something like that, like the first season of this show and be very happy of it and be very proud of it and be able to also be critical of it without nitpicking oneself, right? Like I can be proud of it, but I can also look at it and be like, yo, there's stuff we can get better. But saying that there's stuff we can get better is not to beat yourself up about that fact. That's actually the most exciting part. The most exciting part is the fact that we had something that we were really happy with and we can still make this thing a whole lot better. Like that's actually one of the lessons of doing something like this for me at least is we could get like a first draft of a script that everybody is very happy with. And then for two weeks still be making that thing better. And it gets to be exciting to see at the end, like just how good you can make this thing. And so we can look at it and we can be happy with it. And we have people that we respect who respect what we're doing. And that shit could still be a lot better. Like, I can't speak for you, man. But for me, that's a dope proposition. Like, that's what's crazy exciting about it. Again, it's not like perfectionism. It's not like I got to find something to attack myself for or the people around me for. It's just straight up and down like, yo, we did a, we did the best we could and we did a really good job, but we can actually do better. And it's going to be really fun, at least for me, to do better. It might be miserable for somebody else, but for your boy, it's going to be a good time. Actually, I will say one last thing before I get to the question. And again, this is not, I hope this does not appear to be defense, but just, I think I talked about this in other places, but like it's something to just think about and consider. Like after the first episode, people were watching and be like, well, I hope it gets better. Like what I don't think people get about a show like this, like when we did High Noon, we did two, three weeks rehearsals. I can't remember which, but we did two, three weeks rehearsal. We got to do like one rehearsal show on this and then you go. So like the first episode of television we saw, we did, that you saw was the second episode of this show that I did. I would hope that it would get better. Like the next time you see me at the desk for Game Theory, it will be the eighth time I have ever been at the desk for game theory. That is something that would have been daunting to me if I had actually given it some thought going into it. But the reality is you have seen me do this kind of television six times and I have only done it seven times. Hosting an entire late night show. I have done that seven times. So, if you think that we did a good job generally and if you think I did a good job specifically, just remember, I have only done that seven times before. That is why I would say that I believe that the future of this is bright. Anywho, to your question. How much did the show energy change once there was a live studio audience? Um, it changes everything. So there are a couple levels of it, right? Level one is that with the studio audience, so you get them in, and there's all kinds of process associated with this again that I hadn't really thought about. Like things I think I would say I knew generally, like that they had people, like whether it be a DJ or a comic or somebody warm up the crowd or whatever, 
Like I generally understood that, but I'd never really been a part of it. So I was, a, I get a little stage fright. Crowds spook me a little bit. And so I was not worried about the desk part with the crowd being there. That wasn't a worry. It was before that. It's like they bring me out and I say something to the audience and all that stuff and thank them. And that's terrifying, right? I am not a comedian. Like, that's key. Those guys know how to talk to a big crowd like that and get it. Like, once I'm at the desk and we in the script and all that stuff, I'm good there. But, like, coming up with this off the top of my head, that's a talent. I, I mean, it's a skill more than a talent, and I don't really have it. So that part was a little spooky. But in terms of like doing the show, it's, I mean, can you imagine reading a 10-minute script to a wall with no feedback? Because that's what you're doing if there is no audience. You're doing this to a wall. You have no idea it didn't work or it did. You don't know any of it. And so we, in the first episode, we had like the crew around and they would laugh at stuff and wouldn't. But the problem was they've heard this script a zillion times. So some of the stuff that lands isn't going to land in terms of their response because they've heard it so many times, you know? So having people there help. But I'll also be honest, man. I ain't never got no standing ovation before in my life. I get one about every time I walk out there on that stage. And I got to say, I see how people get addicted to that. Like, ain't much. If you ner like, if you doing your own show, and you was nervous about it, ain't nothing gonna make you less nervous than walking out there and everybody in the room and standing and clapping. That's the friendliest audience you could possibly have. They want you to do well. Like, I had one day where I was doing pickups. I call them fuck ups, but it's basically we run through the script. We got something we need to do again. We go back and do it. Okay. Now, I will say it is somewhat anxiety-inducing to do that, like flub the script in front of people and then have to do it over and over again. Like, that, that is a little different. I will admit that, you know, I deal with it, but it ain't the greatest feeling in the world. I'd be the first person to tell you that. But, man, they was, they was damn near, like, pat me on the back once. I had to be like, yo, man, this ain't no Gerard Carmichael special. I don't need y'all to root me on. I'm good. I'm just messing up a word, baby. I just need you to know. Because they're really being encouraged, and I get you, but this is the game, you know? But that was really nice, though. It really was. And if you hear this and you were there that day, I hope you didn't think I was rejecting it because then I flubbed the line again and the whole place was silent. And I was like, damn, I got too good at this. And telling them to leave me alone. They adhered to my word. And now it is even more awkward. <laughs> but I got it the next time. Yeah. Appreciate the question. Now I need to find it so I can close it. Oh, there it is. All right. Let's see what else we got here. On the pod a bit ago, around the new year, you talked about not posting on Twitter. But lately, you're back. What changed? And can you see yourself going back to, or do you think you'll continue posting? What changed is pretty simple. I had a television show to promote. That is what happened. And honestly, in large part, the stuff I'm sending out on social, it don't land if all you do is send out promotional materials. That doesn't work. So I need to get back into Frey for a little bit, you know. Do I think I'll continue? Nah, not really. Because here's the thing. I went back to posting, but I have not looked at the public timeline yet. 
Like I had to send stuff out, but I am really not interested in what you guys have to say. I, I mean, I just realized that I don't want to be part of that. I have no idea what the discussions are. I don't know the silly videos that are bouncing around. None of that. Like I'm not, I'm not there. So I'm going to probably back off of it. I just, I mean, again, I've, I've just really come to think that this is bad for us, but I admit I kind of needed to use the platform for what I had to do. So yeah, I'll probably back off. Or maybe at the end of the playoffs. I do enjoy talking to y'all about the playoffs. That's fun. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. How do you avoid using Hater Gallagher? How do you avoid using a day like today to revive Hater Gallagher? And it's very easy, guys. Who are they? Like, I talked to somebody about the news coming, and they're like, yep, the haters are going to be mad. I'm like, I mean, I guess they are. Why are we... why are we thinking about them? Like, so what? The, the only thing that frustrates me is when they lie. Like, say things that are factually incorrect. That's the only part that bothers me. It doesn't bother me that these people don't like me. It doesn't bother me at all because they don't know me, right? They don't like the idea of me. And if they don't like my content, I don't mind that either. They, you get to decide. That's how it goes. That's cool. But what's wild is that like when they be lying, and in fact, this is actually the best metaphor for why it is that I can't think about them and maybe y'all shouldn't either. So I was talking to somebody once who was once considering filing a like slander libel, whichever one sued against somebody. And it was a person who was a public figure. And basically what a lawyer told him was, you can't demonstrate injury from these false claims. And since you can't demonstrate injury, injury to reputation, injury to your income, any of that stuff, right? And so since you can't demonstrate that, what they say basically is that you, as public figure, are so much bigger than the lies that this person tells that you just got to swat them off like flies because they don't matter. Like, that's really what the law is saying under such a thing. Those people don't matter. It ain't doing nothing to you. Don't nobody really know who they are. So think about what I just told you. They don't really matter. Don't nobody really know who they are. So that's how you do it. But again, I just wish people wouldn't lie about stuff. One, and I think I've talked about this, is that I have a macro level problem. And I don't know if problem's the right word, but I do find it disappointing and disheartening that the problem is not about me. It is with the idea of me. And we got something good that a whole lot of people could get into. And I think something that could ultimately be impactful and help, you know, play a role in the way people think about stuff in this world. And the idea that dummy is just going to make these calls on whatever it is or try to use me as some sort of flashpoint is wild. Now, this is the question that I have. And you say, how is it? Is it hard to like not use Hater Gallagher? Nah, because the reason I stopped really engaging in all that behavior is I realized that people figured out that they could use me, right? Use me 
to be argumentative in that space and then use that to rile people up. And so I was like, no, I ain't doing that. It's not worth it. I like my argument before used to always be that I was slamming down people who silently agreed with these clowns. And then I realized that this was much, much, much more organized than I ever thought or ever understood. And so I fell back. This is my question at this point in time. Who in the world has decided that I am that important? Right? Like who somewhere drew the conclusion that this is the guy to send the bots at and the trolls. Like, that's what gets me. Because you go look at it, man. The people that are saying the crazy stuff in my mentions, it's never people. Right? It's always shit post accounts. I mean, you can go look at it. You can go check my mentions on Twitter right now or go search for my name right now and look where all the posts come from. Look who the people are that are posting. Just look at the characteristics of the account. And so... I'm just wondering who decided that I was something or somebody that could do this. Like, how did somebody decide that I really had that kind of power to make it worth it to send all this stuff about my TV show? Like a TV show that they don't watch. It ain't really harming them. They don't even know what used to come on at that time. They have no idea. And so who and who and why who thinks? that I'm somebody that you got to keep tabs on like that, right? Like that thinks that I'm somebody that you got to try to come at like that. I'm just very curious who thinks that because somebody does. I don't know who it is, but there's no other explanation for the way that all of this goes because look at it, man. Do you really think that these people get like big internet traffic from talking about my television show? Like, do you really think that I'm that important or that famous that talking about my TV show is going to make anybody any money? Like, let them tell it. HBO ain't making no money off of it. But you're going to expect me to believe that they're going to make some money off of it? That doesn't make any sense. Like, I got no evidence that I'm, I mean, I still walk around these streets pretty much unaccosted, right? The paparazzi has not begun to follow me. It doesn't go that way. So who or what or why or whatever, how did anybody conclude that I would be something that could just get everybody fighting? That's the thing to me. Like You can make every argument you want about my relevance. I don't think it makes much sense to defend it or explain it or anything else, right? Like how relevant anybody says they are is not the determination of what that actual relevance is, right? So my opinion on that doesn't matter really much more than any one other person's opinion on it, right? It's just a thing that bears itself out. It's just very difficult to make the argument that I am irrelevant when people do all this. And I just want to know what exactly makes me so relevant. I don't really understand. That's all I'm trying to figure out. So yeah, every time you see somebody that dedicates all that energy toward me, just ask yourself, what is it that they think I am? Like, what do they think I am capable of? Because apparently they don't think I'm capable of making a good TV show. So, like, how frightening could I possibly be if that is where you start? 
I don't know, man. I don't know. That's what it is. So, yeah, why would we worry about them at a time like this? Like the problem I got is if I keep my filters up to where they need to be to make my mentions navigable, I miss so much that people are like, I miss a lot that people like are actually trying to say good things. And so I wound up looking and getting all the other stuff too, right? Because it's so crazy out there that it'll filter out people being nice in order to try to make it a civil experience. So I see the stuff, right? Like Jalen Rose made a good point in GQ also. Like it's your job to know what people are saying on your name. Like you got to check to a point. But I go through that, man. They aren't real people. They aren't. So I encourage you. Don't worry so much about the haters. I really don't think that many of them exist. I'm a fairly likable guy. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Any thoughts of bringing the remotes for game theory a little more uptown? Central and West Harlem have some characters. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of trick bags involved with who we can deal with and how or whatever. But I'll just tell you right now, the first place I want to take a remote for this show is to the west side of Chicago. If you know, you know. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Was it difficult to adjust to having writers after having spent so much time doing radio, podcasts, etc. without them? No. The reason it wasn't difficult is because the method of presentation was so much different than everything I'd had to do that with everything else being different, Having writers was helpful. And with all the things that had to be done, I would not have time to write scripts. Like, it's just not possible. I'm heavily involved in the process. Like, it's not like the writers just hand me something and then I go on there and read it out of there, right? Like, there's a lot of back and forth. I put my stuff in there. Like, in the end, uh, they said in the beginning of the process, and it's true, the real head writer is the host. And there's something to that. Um, so it really wasn't that difficult to adjust to having them in terms of the expression. What was difficult was trying to figure out the things that I just do naturally and spontaneously trying to figure out how to communicate enough to them that they could reproduce what my thoughts were while also perhaps adding things I had not considered. Like it's a communication element of it. Right. Appreciate that question. Let me see what else we got here. I was at the recording of episode five and was shocked by how few retakes there were with the extended single shots. Did the number of retakes lower as the season went on? If I'm not mistaken, episode five had the most retakes. Yes. Episode five, I think, had the most retakes. So, yeah, we did pretty good on that part. Teleprompter is a weird beast, though, man. Um, some people just can't get it. Like, very intelligent people just can't get it. Because you got to read and think about how you're going to say it. And it's like it's moving, right? Like you're not moving your eyes as much as you are moving. Like there's a whole lot of moving parts that go to it. And I'm lucky that I'm fairly good at it. But like I used to work with Dan. Dan Levitard is the best person I've ever worked with off the teleprompter. Like when you think about listening to Dan on television, like doing those long essays, just how warm and how natural it always sounds. He is a monster on the teleprompter. I'm just pretty good at it. And so what I want to try to work on is getting better at that part. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Is there anything that's 
really challenging trying to be funny for an audience aside from just saying funny stuff. Um, keeping in mind that I'm going out there saying things that an army of people have been working on for weeks. Everything is set up to make everything as easy as possible for me. Everything. So I don't know if there's a particular challenge to it, but like I know what is and isn't funny, right? And I'm gonna just roll with that. And sometimes you land it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes they laugh more than you think, all of that stuff, right? But if I were by myself, like stand up, oh God, it would be miserable. But I got everything working in my favor to make me seem as funny as possible. So it's not, the general idea is not that hard, I would say. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. What is the segment slash bit from the first season you'd most like another run at looking back? Oh, that's easy. The whole first episode. Like, we got to do the first episode with an audience. So much better. So, 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 so much better. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one I'd want to go back at again. Because, like, the Duke Museum is incredible. That's maybe my favorite piece of work I've ever been involved with in my professional career. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. My fiance is going to Houston for her bachelorette party. Anywhere I should be worried if I hear she went to it. Yeah, Houston. That that would be the part to scare me. How dope is it to make it to this level of success with the same people you came up with? Morning Jones forever. So here's what you got to get about me. I'm not thinking about this in the context of success. Like, there's certainly a feeling of accomplishment, right? But what is dope is to make it to this level of support. Like, you understand the difference? It's dope to get to a place where I got people behind me who are willing to give the resources to make something I've always wanted to do happen and to trust me enough to let me bring some of my people on to do it but success and it's actually ironic i don't know if ironic is the right word i'm about to just throw ironic out there like people be doing but when i i got on to highly questionable i talked to rod about this and rod was like look man i listen to a lot of these comedy podcasts and you got to understand that success is getting the show in the first place. And then as I talk to more people, getting a second season is kind of rare. Like, it's not something that you expect. Like, people would have viewed it, I mean, some people would have viewed what we did as some sort of failure if we didn't get picked up, but it probably would be something more toward the median. Like, they just don't pick up, they don't just necessarily pick up a lot of stuff, you know? And so... I think that part for me, like I feel like season one's a chance. Season two's a bit more of an affirmation. And so it is extra dope to have people around, like to have James, who I've known for 20 years around, who I legitimately view as a brother, right? To have Rod. It's like, yeah, man, it's really, really incredible in large part. Cause like the best part about having Rod there is it's something to be said for having one dude that ain't never gonna forget how dope this is. And you need that from time to time. And it's actually interesting. It was like me and Rod, or I, I consider me and Rod to be like the two newest people to this kind of world. And we're the two that just stood around and just be like, yo, this is crazy, man. You know what I mean? And I think that's the best part for me is to have people who could be in it and just look around and just be like, 
yo, we're here. Like every now and then we all just have moments where I talk to James or somebody else, or I'll talk to Stu, my showrunner, and we're just like, yo, this is crazy, man. It really is crazy. But one thing you learn too is you get higher in this, as I think about it. Like I was thinking back to when I used to do the videos for the score and I was doing the Bomani and Jones videos for SB Nation with Hayes and Chip, my buddies in Raleigh. Like we got a bigger operation and all this stuff, but we was we was doing the same thing, just on a different scale. And so it's the same kind of hanging and coming up with stuff and figuring it out just with more pieces. Like the stuff is fundamentally the same. All right, let me see what else we got here. How does creating a show like this compare with preparing for three hours of radio each day? Is it more challenging or just something else entirely? Um, I would say it's more challenging, but this is what the difference is. I prepare for three hours of radio almost kind of on some osmosis. Like, that, like it's taking in a bunch of information, and then I am fortunate enough that you could turn the switch on, and then I give it back to you in a digestible format. So the preparation doesn't even feel like preparation. It just kind of feels like passing the day, right? Doing a show like this is different because everything is much more focused. So with me doing a radio show, all I got to think about is what I'm going to say. With this, I'm in on meetings about shoots. I'm in on meetings about scripts. I'm in on meetings about guests. I'm in on all these different things and then doing iterations of those scripts and those ideas where we're working on three or four episodes in various parts and pieces at one time. And then we're adding new stuff and then something happens. So like if I'm doing a radio, for example, and some big topic happens during commercial break, well, we just turn it over and it's like, okay, cool. Well, now I talk about this. If something happens on Saturday night and we got a show on Sunday, we kind of got to move heaven and earth to figure out how exactly we're going to get that thing in there. So yeah, it's a much bigger challenge with doing a TV show like that. Because basically what you're talking about is the difference between a speedboat and a cruise ship. Which one do you think is easier to drive? Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Who's that dude shouting, talk that shit, Bo? Maybe one day I'll tell you. He may have told people already, but I ain't said it. Did the fuzz ever step in on any of your shoots trying to mess things up? Yeah, the cops ran up on us for the Tiger Hood shoot. But the thing is, as you might imagine, if you were a black man playing golf in the streets of the West Village, he has met all the cops already. He handled that pretty well. All right, let me see if there's one. No, I think we might be out of things I feel like answering. Up oh, that, you know how that goes. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. We do this sporadically. My man Lance Gilliam handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Thank you to Omai's Design. Remember, uh... If you can't watch the Evening Jones Live, subscribe to the podcast. Follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, all that fun stuff. That's from the other show, but whatever. I was just going to say it anyway. All right, now. Take it easy. The Evening Jones is an old soul production. Creative direction and design is provided by Kareem Gilliam for Oh My's Creative Design.